This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Centipede's Metric Tape Company. Need to take an inside leg? Try Centipede's Metric Tape, now in centimeters. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free. Hey, I'm Jeff. And I'm Brandon. And this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Hello, everybody. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Brandon. Hello, Unanimous. That's right. You all are unanimous, whether you know it or not. You are <laughs> unanimous in that. That is your name, Unanimous. So, how's everybody doing? How are you, Jeff? I'm doing okay on this lovely June evening. Um, I caved and put the AC on for the first time yesterday. It's so, a little hot. Yep. It, I'm hearing it is, it's getting cold in Australia and the Southern Hemisphere. Times yeah. are changing. It is, and it's very hot over in London. It's hotter in London than it is here right now, actually. Um, so, happy summer to everybody. And Yeah, um, happy solstice. It was maybe three or four days ago. Yeah. Over in, uh, what was that? What's that thing called with all the rocks in England? Stonehenge. Stonehenge. Yeah. <laughs> all the rocks. <laughs> that thing with all the rocks. That gardening shop where you can get all those stones for your garden? They mean We're that? Being, we're being sued by English Heritage just for moving some rocks with Stonehenge pads. <laughs> I don't know what that reference is, but it's a, I'm sure that... an early Ab Fab episode. When, okay, um, can I just yeah. nerd out? So when I was a Go kid, so like what half of this show is basically remembering like watching art being served and um, thinking like, I didn't get that joke when I was 12, but I do now, right? So you said English Heritage Mag- Magazine. When I was 12... I actually had a subscription of to British Heritage Magazine. I did. And it was like, because I loved art being served. And like, what is this crazy land called Ingaland? What is this United Ingaland. Kingdom? And Ingaland. <laughs> and I was on, um, was it, did I buy an issue from eBay a couple years ago? Or did I find them like in a box somewhere? But it was so strange because it was maybe like 1993. I don't know. Um, and all of the ads in the back, which which were basically why people read magazines are for the advertisements, right? Of course. The weirdest thing was, it was like very cutesy and like, here's a ye oldie churchy in Clapham upon Strump, England or whatever, you know. And, <laughs> you know, they have like a cute, like, here's a little choir boy and like looking Anglican and here's an old telephone booth, blah, blah, blah. But it was just like the app, the, the the articles and stuff, you know, it was Got like it. just very quintessentially British and like country British, right? English. But what the weird thing was were the advertisements had absolutely no reference to emails or website addresses. Because oh. back then, see, back in our day, we didn't have no internet. So back anyway, in my, it was just back like a, in my like day, a, the internet was in black and white and text only. We're old. So anyway, so the, you mentioned English Heritage, so I had to like give a shout out to the British Heritage Company. If That's they are so still in weird. business, they should sponsor the show. That's so weird. I, I didn't even think about looking back at uh, advertisements from before the internet age because... Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Of course you're going to have an email address or a Twitter handle or a website or something when back then it was a phone number and an address to send your That you would check. write a letter to. That you'd yeah. send a check through the mail in order to, like, buy something. And, you know, speaking with Julia and Heidi, our previous hosts from a couple episodes ago, you know, they were all kind of Anglophiles, too. So, you know, I probably wasn't the only one. I mean, I must have found, I think it was an American magazine for people who were like Anglophiles like me. So, you know what? I bet a couple of the members of the U- Anonymous, no, not Anonymous, the Unanimous, <laughs> excuse me. Um, that's a Wrong different group. thing altogether. Um, I bet you they probably, so let us know on Facebook or whatever, Peacock Hotline, 662 Peacock, if you also subscribe to British Heritage. That would be really cool. And I might make a post on Facebook to show everybody like the cover. It was like, it was so cute. Anyway. So, what are we talking about again? What show is it? Speaking of uh, Facebook (laughs) or whatever, um, we've we've got a couple of shout outs and thank yous to some of our super fans. 
Do you want to pull oh a God, mi- yeah. Do you want to pull a Miss Molly and romper room and give some shout outs to our fans? Lanita, oh. I see you. Michelle, Lori, is that what is that what she did? I don't know so what romper it, is. So Maybe you would, should explain. Oh, okay, so there's the ever so slightest age gap between Brandon and I, where I am at. Not so slight. Not am, so slight for me. I am at the very end of Generation X, and Brandon is at the very beginning of Millennials. Um, we're probably... The central heart of Millennial, thank you. <laughs> the warm Which heart. is an abfab quote. Um, yeah. And so we were talking about, you know, uh, um, you know uh, thanking all of our super fans who interact with us. I was like, oh, you're going to pull a Miss Molly. And he just looked at me blank on the screen. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So there was this kid show in the United States called Romper Room. And it was... Um, it was it, was, it wasn't nationally syndicated. There actually was a different romper room that was filmed in each city uh, so that oh, they wow. could have kids come and play. And it was kind of like play school, right? You'd like, you know, do whatever and like ABCs and nursery rhymes and jumping jacks and whatever. And so at the, in the New York version, uh, the host's name was Miss Molly. And at the end of the day, she would pull oh, out sweet. her... She would pull out her magic mirror and look through it and name all of the kids that she saw out in television land watching the show. And the magic right? mirror, it looked like a tennis racket without any string, right? It was That's like just correct. big a big loop, right? Yeah. So she and would look so I I think I was told about this, right? Yeah. Doesn't and she so like she would start mom, Yeah. So she would start with Romper Stomper, Rompity Boo. Uh shit, what's the second line? The second one was like, basically, you know, tell me who I see today. Bobbity, I see you. Something like that, right? And so she would like say the names of all the kids that had written in or the the moms wanted to be on the show. Mention, mention my sonny boy, Jeff, or it's, whatever. It's, and then Timmy, she would it's say, Timmy's fourth birthday on July 31st, Aww, so please give him a shout. Yeah, right. Um, and so she'd say all the names. And she did a really good job about saying real names. Like, it wasn't always Mike and Sally. Like, she'd throw in a couple huh. of, you know, unique names. So you know that it was names of kids who had really written in. And, like, yeah, that yeah. was the thing to brag about in kindergarten the next day. If that is Ms. so cute. If Miss Molly saw, saw, said your name on Romper Room the day That before. was so innovative because, like, now, I mean, the internet's not, we're, we're old again, right? But, um, so it would be so cute imagining, I don't know, 1980, 1975, whatever. Like, a little four-year-old having someone on TV saying, Hey Jeff, I see you, right? Oh, and like totally. freak out. I went bel- I remembered the I think my name got said twice when I was watching. Oh my god. And I famous. remember flipping out. And it wasn't because my mom wrote me in, it was because some other Jeff's Some mom other did. Jeff. Um but <laughs> anyway, so Miss Molly, who do you see in your magic mirror today? Oh, that's so sweet. Okay. Well, unfortunately we don't have a magic mirror. We have a magic podcast. Um so Lanita. Thank you very much. You sent us a lovely email. We appreciate your feedback. Um, Michelle, thank you for contacting us. Laurie, love your comments. Um, Stephanie, thank you very much. Kevin, Anna, Rigo, we think you guys are great. You've all done very well. How about that? There you go. <laughs> so thank there you, you for go. interacting with us. And we, as you, as I mentioned, you could always send us a message, 662, um, hello, 662 uh, Peacock, uh, our, our uh handlers at the northern mississippi compound we have are waiting 24 hours a day for your calls and we still haven't heard back from the mystery person from houston call us just to let us know who you are because our curiosity is piqued we want to see you through our magic mirror so please tell us who you are mystery <laughs> caller from houston yeah um so we've had another, we, we've had um a lot of other um uh comments on facebook and on the hotline and stuff um about the about the nature of our show right Um, There was someone who commented on Facebook that um, was a little disappointed that we weren't focusing 100% on comedy. And let me also just mention a huge shout out to Julia and a huge shout out to uh, Heidi, who were co-hosts with us for the last two episodes. Um, The one before this one was Hand of Fate with Julia 
and before that one was Hurrah for the Holidays with with Heidi. It's their um, fault. It's all their fault. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm just well, and, and it's just it's just I'm it's kidding. just Jeff and I today. I'm using Yuma, Julia. Yuma, Yuma, Arizona. <laughs> um, no, but um, so I just wanted to give a huge shout out first to Heidi for kind of pioneering it with us. We didn't know what we were doing, and um, huge. Lots of feedback that you know they everyone loved that show, and also with Julia and the the episode with Julia um, was very black Black Lives Matter centric, um, you know. So anyway, so that's the history. So you can go back to listen to the episode if you haven't heard that one already. Yeah, and so uh, one of our listeners was a little disappointed that we weren't one hundred percent focused on the comedy of the show. And um, in case you haven't caught on by now, listeners, you know, we are not a hashtag good vibes only podcast. Um, You know, we are two gay men who are living at the intersection of queer oppression and white male privilege. And I think we'd be doing a disservice to um, our audience as well as to the show itself if we didn't give it a social context, Uh, not only when the show was filmed and when it aired, uh, but also viewing it with today's eyes. You know. Right, and that's something we try to do in each episode is, is you know, usually when we, we – Jeff and I are usually kind of banter and like, how are you doing? What's going on? COVID sucks, blah, blah, blah. And then we'll talk about – Wash your right, hands, wear a mask. Was, yes, exactly. And then picture is uh, March 6, 1975. The episode started. What was happening that week? So we always give a little context about – you know, what were the people sitting in that studio audience at the BBC? What was their life like that week? What was going on? Was it really cold? Were they having a, a, an energy crisis? Were they out of sugar? Like all of these things. So to take that today, we want to also kind of document what's going on in our lives in the context as well, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, because it, it's it's definitely in the ether. It's in the air. It's in everything you read and see on, t- t- on television and everything on the internet. So we would do ourselves and the show a disservice, the podcast a disservice, if we kind of shied away from that. So we just wanted to kind of touch that in the beginning of the show yeah. today, especially because we got amazing comments. And one comment where a guy said, not so good. You know, he said some very positive things. We thank him for that. But he also said that, you know, this wasn't, what I came to the show for, I wanted to escape, which we totally get. You know, if if you need to, you know, turn us off because you don't want to hear anything about Black Lives Matter, hey, there's a lot of other stuff out there. But Jeff and I and the podcast, we want to make sure that everyone knows that that's what we stand for. We are always trying to listen as 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 queer white guys because, you know, hopefully with the Black Lives Matter movement means – a lot of white folks who aren't black, who have not walked in those shoes, are trying to be empathi- empathetic and understand more about what that's about. So, yeah, I mean, we're you know, ni- neither of us are perfect allies. Uh, we're just trying to do our best um, because systemic racism is our problem to dismantle. Because um, yeah. as white people, we're the ones that built it. Maybe not being Brandon specifically, but. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to do our bit here. So if you've come to us from respite from the craziness, you're going to get it, but you're also going to get a little do, dose of, of reality. And it's not to beat anyone over the head with moralism and white guilt or anything like that. Just mm. context. So, yeah, I like it. And, and just like in regular life, you know, you get everything all the, all the time, you know, it's not like, and I, I honestly, without going into a diatribe, I think the folks how to say this, I think if you cater your entertainment and interaction so you don't see anything negative about the society you live in, I think that's a trap that is very kind of pretty easy to get into, especially with Facebook and you're in a bubble and you only like the pages that you have something in common with. uh, And those are people who kind of tend to be similar to you, which means you don't hear from other perspectives. So, you know, there you go. It's the internet. Yeah, and so on, on a similar vein um, uh, that, you know, this we are going to focus on the comedy and we're not about white guilt or cancel culture. Totally. Uh, super fan Jeff yeah. Y wrote in um, questioning why Brandon and I cringed when Julia mentioned The Simpsons, right? Uh, and it's – Brandon and I talked about this right before the show and it's not because we think that um, the show did – 
uh, a bad job at representing Apu, or that mm. um, the jo- that his character's represents- representation on The Simpsons is upholding a model minority or anything like that, we do realize that something like this gave uh, middle middle of the road America uh, a view into um, somewhat realistic Indian American life. The reason why um, Brandon and I both cringed is because he's voiced by a white guy. And Hank Azaria has even, the, the actor who voices him, has even noted that. And that's the reason why he's choosing not to voice that character anymore. It has nothing to do with, oh, oh we make fun of everybody so everybody's fair game. Why are you, you know, uh, picking on this character? That's, yeah, that's just where we're coming from. Yeah, and I, I will say, you know, Apu, um, I love the character, and I love that you kind of see a little bit into Indian life in The Simpsons. And I'm not the giant Simpsons fan. And I know The Simpsons officially, like, they kind of did the scene where Lisa looks into the camera, like, breaks the fourth wall, and basically says, we're not going to get rid of Apu, so stop complaining about it. <laughs> but then I think Hank Azaria was like, actually... I'm not going to voice Apu anymore, so right. try that. So then I think it kind of just went away. Is there? Do they find another actor to voice him? Oh, I have I no idea. But yeah, I, I don't pay attention. You know, Jeff Y. For the record, I stopped watching The Simpsons because it conflicted with The Amazing Race, not because I think oh it needed God. to be canceled. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, what I just just last thought on this, uh, and then we'll get to are you being served? Um, to you what know, now? I think it's a show we've heard of a couple times. Um, on uh, on Apu, I think like you know where I was from in Arkansas, let's say where I was being raised, there were no Indian families. Um, and then when I was older, there was I think one. And forgive me if I'm misremembering that, but anyway, it was a very, it was the only entree I had as a kid to what an Indian family is. So I think a lot of this comes from if I if I'm never exposed to Indian culture, Indian American culture. Um, then I think the only image on my media is Apu and right. all of the funny quirks that he has. But if that's the only thing that your people have for representation is this funny kind of dumb guy, although really sweet. I mean, Apu's what he is. So anyway, that's the, uh, the Apu thing. Yeah. But, you know, I, I really think the Simpsons would not bring him back or at least do like a grand gesture or something with the show, especially in the Black Lives Matter movement times, or or find mm. another actor to voice him. So, so yeah. thanks, so thanks, uh, Jeff Y for that topic. Yeah, thanks Su- for the thoughts. Super fan. Okay, oh, yeah. so so what show are we talking about again? Uh, Black Lives Matter. No, well they do, but we're talking about Are You Being Served? <laughs> oh, okay, all right. So thanks for the indulgence, unanimous. Yeah, anonymous. Um, Anonymous. No, different, different group, different, different agenda different altogether. Yeah. Um, so this episode, Coffee Morning, it premiered Yay. on uh, March 6, 1975. And that week in the news... Give us some context. Um, color TV started in Australia. So Whoa. they hadn't had color television up until then. And I believe that was a color, big deal. Yeah, because color TV started in the US like 66-ish. I don't know, because like, when I think about, like, the moon landing, that was 69. I remember all the footage being black and white. Well, that's because it but... was from the moon. Oh, because it's only gray in the moon. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no the, ca- the cameras that were sent to the moon were only black oh, and white. Oh, okay. Um, right. When was... Well, Brady Bunch was always in color, right? I guess so. I don't know. Oh, I Mike, mean, take a tranquilizer. Take a tranquilizer, Mike. Call back. Um, right? Queen Elizabeth knighted Charlie Chaplin. Yep. Have you seen Chaplin the movie with I Robbie Downer? It's amazing. Such a good, such a good movie. So the episode starts off, and we see Miss um, Brahms is measuring Mrs. Slocum's waist, uh, <laughs> and she's like, "No, I can get a little more." She takes a deep breath in, and she measures her waist and announces it's a seventy-seven. To which Mrs. Slocum looks defeated. She's like, "Oh, it doesn't it sound a lot in metric." Um, I was under the impression that the UK had been using the metric system for quite a long time, uh, but they only completed the whole metrication process in 1975. Oh, so like it was on the tips of everyone's tongue then, right? Right. You know, it had been introduced in the late 60s, but only like year by year did they start changing certain things over. 
Right? Oh, interesting. And to this day, there are still uh, several areas that are measured in Imperial, right? Um, so if you go, if you're ever driving or on the motorway, you'll see that um, speed limits and distances are posted in miles, not in kilometers per hour. So that means like Imperial means not metric. Not in metric, America, yeah. we use Imperial for everything. So we yeah. use gallons of milk, miles except, for... Except soda. For some reason, soda is sold by the liter. Maybe that will be the beginning of our transition to metric. But then somehow it'll be like some right-wing conspiracy thing and Obama will be cited about metric. And Anyway, let's I, not go down the road. Have yeah, problem. anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, traffic signs are still imperial. They also use pints to sell beer, cider, and milk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very common to be able to run to the store and get a pint of milk. Here in the States, I think you can get a half pint and you can get a quart, but it's yeah. kind of rare, or even a, even a half quart. I think you can get two pints because there are four quarts, pints in a quart. No, two pints in a quart, four quarts to a gallon. The weird thing is when you're in the UK and you you kind of like you kind of figure out like Celsius. You're like 28 degrees Celsius. That's a hot day. You're That's on the beach. Hot, hot day. Hot, hot, hot. Um, and then you think about grams like if you're cooking you're like okay 20 grams that's about that much or whatever the weird thing that just you, it just sounds weird and it feels wrong is when you're pumping petrol in your car because you have to put liters of gas instead I of have, gallons i have never dri- i have never driven in a foreign country so i've never mm, had to deal with York, gasoline you? right yeah. that's true i drove um, um to the eastern coast of England to Scarborough, where the fair is, you know, that fair. Oh, I fear there's some really good uh, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme there as well. Is that they, They're really big in herbs over there. But, uh, yeah, so I had to drive on the right, on the wrong side of the street, on the motorway, in a standard transmission car with the shifter on my left. So luckily, my feet were the same. So like there was I couldn't. The, I the wouldn't be able to do on it. The left, then the gas. No, it was the clutch. I'm thinking the clutch, the brake, and then the gas on the right. So if can you imagine how bad it would be driving so if wait, those were different so, too? But okay. So all right. So I'm driving. Here's the here. I'm thinking to myself where I usually drive. Here's the gas and here's the brake. Okay. So. I'm using my right foot to go back and forth between the gas and the brake. Mm-hmm. So are they in the same order where you're still using your right foot? Thank God, yes. So okay. it was a standard car because that's a whole other conversation um, over there. So you have the brake on the left. So when you brake, you move your foot from the right to the left to brake, right? Okay. And then you have the accelerator on the right of that. Yep. And then on the far side with your left foot, you have the clutch. So that was... The three most important things, the go meter and the stop meter, <laughs> that were the normal. But the, the stick, instead of being on the right, it was on the it's left. It's on your left-hand side. Wait a so, second. So, so when you drive stick in America, <laughs> do you use your left foot for the clutch? I do. Okay. I don't know how to drive stick, so I, I have uh, no yeah. idea. Yeah. I don't, oh, I don't think I would ever be able to learn. Because like, I don't think I'd be able to get my two feet to go independently. I mean, that's now, you do, I mean, your brain can do amazing things. The, the weird thing is, though, when I was going on the motorway, which is like, I think, the, I want to say the M5 or whatever, M4, the motorway there uh, in the north. From where to it, where? From like Yorkshire to the coast. Okay. I want to say it was in kilometers because I remember like not knowing how fast I was really going. So, so maybe longer distances like are in... Um, are in kilometers. We have all the British people like angrily emailing us right now. You right. all don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, well, no, I, yeah. I know that one of the big um, one of the big um, <laughs> social movements or, or, or civic movements that's been happening in London for the past couple of years is uh, they're trying to get every borough to be 20 miles an hour speed limit borough wide, except for like the. Um, the major roads. Oh yeah, to slow everyone down. For yeah, because so, like is- Islington, for example, I know is twenty miles an hour everywhere. Wow. So. Well, people anyway. are always looking down on their phones. So that's probably a good idea. Uh, but it's it's weird to be on the freeway over there, the met- the motorway, and your brain. My brain was like, I could feel parts of my brain acting, which is weird. Because when you drive, you don't think; you just do it, right? Autopilot. Muscle memory. Yeah. 
But when everything is the mirror image of the way it should be to your brain, so if you think about driving a stick, you use your shifter with your right hand and da da da, and your feet are going, and you have your other hand on the wheel. But I had to put my right hand on the wheel and my shifter with my left hand, and oh, my I brain was like, no, what do you, that's not the way. Anyway, if you've ever driven in the UK or a, 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 one of the countries where they drive on the right or the left, rather, it's, uh, it hurts your brain, man. So um, anyway, so um, so Mrs. Slocum blames the reason why she's gained four centipedes around her waist is on the sugar shortage, because if she keeps stockpiling the sugar, she has to keep eating it. Otherwise, she'll never get rid of it. Oh, thank you to the Centipedes uh, Metric Tape Company for sponsoring the show, by the way. Yes. Thank you very much. Centipedes. Thank you very much. Right. Love the tape. So good. Um, I had never heard of the sugar shortage before. I know of the oil shortage. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I had to look this one up. So there was a Commonwealth Sugar Agreement back in 75 or 74 it started um, where all these Caribbean companies um, would agree to sell X amount of sugar to Britain. And for some reason, they decided, hey, these suckers in the United States, they were going to pay us more for the sugar. So we're going to sell them to the U.S., do the kibosh on the old Brits and we'll, we'll run away to the bank. So back in the 70s, I was, I was thinking about this earlier. Right now, I think most sugar comes from the sugar beet, which is not a sugar cane. Yeah. So I guess this was before like sugar beet was a big thing. So anyway, like there was a sugar shortage. Can you imagine the Americans if there was no sugar? What would we do? Get skinny. Right. Splenda. Sucralose, stevia on the raw, <laughs> agave nectar. Cher's career will be quadruple what it is because she'll be hawking all that. Equal. Oh my God, that is a throwback. I don't like the pink stuff. I'm, I choose equal. I completely it is forgot kind of an about LGBT. that. It's, it's also June Pride, so we can talk about Cher. <laughs> She's not British or anything to do with the show. But yeah. Anyway. So uh, Miss Brahms reveals <laughs> that she um, you know goes on dates me- merely to get fed. You know she doesn't make enough money to feed herself to keep body and soul together. So, um, you know, she goes on the dates, but, you know, she, she politely says that she's a lady and she doesn't put out. Um, but mm. she says, you know, the reason that the guys keep doing it is because it's like, um, it's like playing a fruit machine. Once they've made the investment, they keep doing it until they'll hit the jackpot. To which Mrs. Slocum replies, well, they'd have to pull the handle a lot of times before they got my cherries up, which I think is just a hysterical retort. Um, oh my so God, I the love The idea it. Of, a, of a slot machine and, you know, hitting the jackpot and then also the, um, you know, the other connotation about what cherry means in regards to, regards to uh, putting out. You know, when I was listening to this joke ages ago, I didn't get the joke because well, it was about sex. But, right. um, fruit machine, like, I don't think we've, Americans have ever heard that term, right? It's, it's a slot machine. It's just the British word for slot machine, yeah. Yeah, so like if you didn't know what fruit machine was, like, and you're talking about cherries, like what? So um, fruit machine, a slot machine. And they are ubiquitous in Britain. Like, you go to any pub, they'll have, like, a machine. It's almost like a pen, like, kind of like they have pinball machines everywhere. But they're slot machines. They call them one-armed, or they call them bandits, actually. Like, the yeah, one-armed, one-armed bandit. one-armed bandits. Everywhere. Well, everywhere it's, you go. It's, it's also really prevalent in other places outside of the New York metropolitan area. Like, we don't have, around here, we don't have slot machines in our bars. But if you go to um, New Orleans, um, I think think in some places in Chicago, in Cleveland, um, they, they, they just have them in, in like a, your corner bar will have a slot machine. Oh, I, need, yeah. I clearly need to get out more. Yeah. <laughs> well, and anyway, it, that's a whole other discussion with, with yeah. COVID, right? But. So um, <laughs> Mr. Lucas is talking about his date and how he had to borrow a car uh, to take her out to dinner. And when she tried, uh, you know, she was phoning for, for keys and trying to get out the door even before she had made it um, down the block because she wanted to end the date or she was afraid that uh, Mr. Lucas would have grabby hands or something. Anyway, he's taking her out again tonight and he thinks he's going to have better luck because he unscrewed the door handle to prevent Horrific. his date so from bad. getting out of the car. Nope. Predatory at its finest. Like, yeah. It's 
This, you know, if you're following along from last week, this is the category of joke that was never funny to begin with, right? Yeah, and if you think about like what the joke enta- like implies, it's like he's going to force himself onto a woman and make her impossible to escape from him. That's right. really bad. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know? this, the show doesn't imply just how far Mr. Lucas will go with this woman trapped in the car. But still, you know, no means no, period. And a um, lot of old school jokes, I'm thinking of like a lot of the, I'm thinking of like Mrs. Maisel, the show on Amazon, where yep. they'll talk about like all the old school, like old, old timer comic guys that she'd kind of like become friends with. And they would tell these kind of body boys will be boys kind of jokes. Right. And when you stop to listen to them and like think about what they really in- imply, Ugh, it's kind of um, should I say it should I trigger everyone out there should I say it um, maybe baby it's cold outside I'm triggered <laughs> yeah even that song so baby it's cold outside um, it's funny because I grew up with the Barry Manilow version where it's him and like some lady and now that we know that he's like a big proud out guy, gay guy right. But yeah, like the lyrics are. Anyway, you, you talk about the lyrics. What's the wrong? What's the yeah, issue? Yeah, I mean, so the idea is this, the song was written, um, and you know, for full transparency, in the original lyrics, the way the song was originally written before it was uh, in the movie, it was uh, by, by the mouse and the fox. So it wasn't the man and the woman. It was the mouse and the fox. The man sung the, the part that's traditionally sung by a woman, and the fox sung the part that's traditionally sung by a male. Anyway, it's a call and response song where they go back and forth, where the man is trying to convince the woman to stay and continue their date. And she makes every excuse in the book to leave. And his only repeated answer is, baby, it's cold outside. Right. And so there are a lot of lines in it that are kind of questionable, where you were questionable at best, where he's pressuring her to um, stay longer and almost to the point where it's a little bit forceful, right? Now, there's some argument to be said that, you know, part of dating culture back then was for a woman to to be coy, right? And to play quote-unquote hard to get. Uh, Much like in many cultures around the world, you have to refuse a present three times before you can accept it, right? That's just part of the unwritten social contract and that Arkansas is like that yeah and that and that's part of how um dating culture was back then like you couldn't um you know you, you couldn't give it up on the first try because then what would your date think of you or what would you you know whatever yeah it's so convoluted <laughs> but still i mean the, the lyrics the lyrics when looked at on their own are really really problematic much and, you know, like this mr lucas the black lives matter movement yeah i was going to say is like when we look at things from the past and like the episode we talked about last time with the japanese customer who was like those are really racist jokes and there's a lot of people on facebook who in response to that episode were saying i don't care if it's not politically correct well we do and i think what all of this is about is recognizing that a joke made 50 years ago was really inappropriate and really hurtful and we can at least acknowledge that and same thing with misogyny and like being violent towards women which if you really think about the lyrics of this beloved christmas song i mean it's kind of uh, he's sort of not quite holding her against her will but you're kind of walking down that road and do you want to walk down that road so anyway yeah yeah Okay, anyway, back to the episode. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Mr. Granger is late coming back from his tea break. And oh, hold Captain on a Before we do, I have, to, I have to do the John Inman, Mr. Humphreys fashion alert. Oh. Maybe that's a new thing that we'll do. I'll make a little song. Fashion alert with Mr. Humphreys. Did you see his tie in this episode? I did not take note of his tie. Well, Queen, so... <laughs> Good. So it's like a floral thing. It's kind of like there's a couple episodes where he's wearing like he's come just back. <laughs> I think what an episode he comes, he descends, descends down the stairs and he says, I've just come from the airport. 
for work in the morning, and he's wearing like this fabulous like Hawaiian outfit print with like um, if you think of uh, Golden Girls and Blanche's bedroom wallpaper, it's like that the beautiful banana leaf, like banana yeah. leaf. It's almost like that, or like some sort of tropical flower, but it's like chartreuse and like salmon or like a pink color with orange. Sounds weird, but go and look at the episode. And if I could find that tie, I would wear it. So anyway, tie break with Brandon. The <laughs> tie break. Tie break <laughs> and then later tea break, right? Yeah. Um, Captain Peacock has to report Mr. Granger for being late. Uh, and we see that there's a little bit of a change in their first name basis, right? So you're not going to report me, Stephen. Well, of course I am, Mr. Granger. Well then, Captain Uh-oh. Peacock, right? So we uh-huh. see that, that class structure right at, pay there, right at play there. Yeah. Uh, Captain Peacock's, well, you know, you have to understand, I have to wear two hats. I'm your friend, but also the floor walker. Well, you'll find no difficulty in that because you're two-faced. Glass of water for Mr. Granger. Boom! Is that the first time that they offer him one? Glass in, of water? In this episode, yes. No, in the show. When nope. Did... We've heard mm-hmm. it several times before, right? Um, they're, they're trying to make their way to lunch, and Captain Peacock is um, ready to... He's reading the rules, right? So there's a memo um, that says that they're going to have to sign out, in and out, whenever they want to go for Elevens' lunch or tea break. So Elevens' is, is your morning tea time, typically taken at 11 o'clock. And if they go to lunch at 1 to be back at 2 and go home at 5.30, it makes sense that they're going to have this break in the middle of their morning um, to do that. So... Um, they're outraged that they have to clock in and clock out like this. And they start raising a stink and Captain Pika says, nope, this is the memo from Mr. Rumbold. Uh, be prepared when you come back from lunch at two o'clock on the dot to sign in. Boom. They're all in the canteen. Uh, Mr. Lucas, for some reason, has decided to get them all lunch that day. Um, well, I think, you know, it's primarily for the purpose of him announcing what everyone's having. Well, he's uh, also the junior, so he would have been the true. one to, that's true. you know, if he's, he's not all, buying it. He's probably fetching he's it. getting it. Right. Because they're five minutes late getting to lunch. So they had to get the table and he's the junior. So he'll queue up that, that makes sense. Right. Actually, yeah. So, yeah. So who's for Kakaliki? And we get a exasperated look from Mr. Humphreys on that one, but great pun. Um, Kakaliki is um, Scottish chicken soup with leeks in it, with with prunes, and prunes shredded really? shredded prunes. I don't oh. know, but I looked it up. Kakaliki. Oh, the the addition of the prunes uh, that doesn't sound purists in nice. Scotland insist on prunes and kakaliki and kakaliki. Okay. Anyway, well, I know what I'm having for my tea break. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, so they discuss and they make a plan and they decide that they're all going to refuse to sign the book and they're all in this or all unanimous in it. They're all together. Uh, they get back from lunch and Captain Peacock asks Mr. Granger twice to sign the book and twice he refuses. And so he I love, immediately I love it when goes Captain Peacock book. says, sorry, I, I love it when Captain Peacock says, okay, uh, so you refuse and then he's writing in the book, Mr. Granger refused point blank to sign book and then he pauses for effect twice and oh my god i've never seen mr granger's little head twitch back to look at mr captain peacock quicker it was so good i love that little pause glass of brandy for mr granger (laughs) so speaking of brandy and this is like the randomest connection that i made when i was thinking about this before um, there's, there's a meme that's been going around social media for quite some time about, um, p- problems that you thought you'd have more in adulthood that you don't encounter. Like, and one of the things that people say is quicksand, you know, based on the old Looney Tunes cartoons, I thought there'd be oh, quicksand, quicksand everywhere, everywhere based on what you saw. Yeah. Right. Um, or like Acme and, bombs are going to be everywhere. Right. And so the, I think the thing that isn't as ubiquitous as I thought it would be from said cartoons are um, St. Bernard's with barrels of brandy around their neck to save you in the snow. <laughs> oh, that's, that would be so cute. They'd be so adorable. And they'd be like, I'm helping. I've got brandy in my little jug. I'm going right. to help you. 
I'm a dog. Because that's the <laughs> inner monologue of a dog. That is the inner monologue <laughs> of a dog, indeed. Yeah. Um, so if you live we... in Maine or like Switzerland and you see a St. Bernard with little things, Maine let us know. or Switzerland. It's <laughs> the same thing, you know, snow. <laughs> or Quebec. Um, why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea break? Let's do it. I can't wait to get that cockaleeky down. It's going to be so good. <laughs> with extra prunes. I've had, I've had too much sugar this week, so I think I'll just have the grapefruit cocktail. Minus well, you, the cherry. The, uh, the, it's the government's fault because they force you to buy so much. If you don't do it, you'll, uh, it'll go bad or whatever Mr. Slocum said. Anyway, we'll be right back. We're going to the – we obviously need something. I don't know. We'll be right back. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. Welcome back. What did you have in the canteen? Well, first of all, the manageress. Cow. Cow. I didn't have beef. Um, you know, I had the cock leaky. Uh, it just got on my mind, and it had too much leaky, but not enough cock. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's going to give me a bad reputation. I'm trying to go vegetarian, so no more chicken. No more chicken. <laughs> extra prunes. I got extra prunes. It was delicious. Excellent. What about you? What'd you get? Excellent. I did have the grapefruit cocktail, um, <laughs> but it did not have a cherry on it. And I was appalled and I had to clutch my pearls because I wanted to be able to reenact the whole um, lunchtime scene from Greece. My name is Maraschino, kind of like the cherry. Um, you have no idea what I'm talking about, dude. Is you? that a documentary on the Mediterranean country? I don't know. Yes, that's, ex- that's exactly what that is. Uh, oh, man. Yuma, Arizona, people. All right. <laughs> Yuma. So anyway, so what, what are we talking anyway, about? Which TV show are we on now? So we're, we're back in Mr. Rumble's office um, where um, Mr. Captain Peacock is reporting Mr. Granger for being <laughs> late. Snitch. Um, and, you know, he, he says that up until this, you know, um, we must make an example of you because one rotten apple can spoil the barrel. Now, where have I heard that saying lately? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, all I do know is that a lot of people talk about, uh, good apples and rotten apples and never finish the phrase that rotten apples spoil the entire barrel. So... I'll just leave that there. Anyway, Mr. Mash <laughs> comes into the meeting with tea, and there's a, um, a lot of put that down, no, don't put that down, between uh, Miss Ainsworth taking the shorthand and Mr. Mash serving the tea. And I thought that the, um, Which is really the cadence, the cadence of that put that down, no, don't put that down, or should I put it down, mm. was very reminiscent of uh, I can't pay the rent, you must pay the rent, that old skit from um, Vaudeville days. See, only Jeff... Only Jeff would know, oh, this was reminiscent of a vaudevillian sketch from 1927. Five stars, people. Well, That's all I'm saying. It wasn't, it wasn't just 1927. Like, it's, <laughs> it's been portrayed throughout. I mean, I think that if you look at the Carol Burnett show, they had a very similar, I can't pay the rent, you must pay the rent, um, kind of uh, back and forth. But anyway, <laughs> Rumble decides that he's going to fine Mr. Granger 25p for being late and another 25p for refusing to sign the book. And when he relays this news to the others, they're weighing, well, should we chip in? Well, you know, we were only behind him for refusing to sign the book, so we should only give 5p each. Do you think that the staff coughed up the 5p oh, each to no. help pay 
Mr. First of all, fine. they all get paid nothing, and they're all very cheap. But yeah. I'm, I'm shocked at the fact that the company's like, we're going to charge you money as punishment because that's just in the, today's day and age, like that would never happen. Like you can't get fined the, an infraction. That would never happen. That would never right? happen here. I think that it would never happen in white collar jobs here. But I could easily see, like maybe in a factory, where you were. Um, hmm, I don't know. Uh, you know, if you if you broke equipment, maybe, or maybe if there was something social, like um, if uh, you know an office had a swear jar, for example. Like so, no, that swear wasn't jar really is one. Official. I mean, that's kind of a social contract thing. It's a social thing, yeah. But yeah, it's just I felt like that's. I wonder if that was a uh, a British thing or like an old British thing fifty years ago that well well where weird. would where would the fifty p go would it go to the retirement home would it go to them to buy a new packet of ping pong balls for the social club like <laughs> that's my favorite episode I think um, <laughs> I don't know um, did you know what do you know what shorthand is I do know what shorthand is but some of our listeners. So Miss Ainsworth, I love whenever she's on the screen because she always wears like a fabulous like brown outfit and it, very, and it matches her hair, which is very long and brown and it's very 70s. And she's always doing shorthand and all of the, the secretaries do shorthand. And a lot of jokes come from it because I think Miss Ainsworth, maybe the last couple episodes, she's her, the Mr. Mr. Rumbo's temporary secretary. You know, like she's not even really there all the time. So shorthand, if, and I, I remember looking into shorthand, what was it? Like when I was a kid from Are You Being Served? Um, so before people had, like this is like the 30s and 40s and 50s, before people had the means to mechanically record the audio for meetings. Or a dictaphone. Or a dictaphone, right. yeah, that's kind of where I was going. Like a dictaphone is nothing to do with kakaliki. But it's <laughs> 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 so stupid. Uh, dictaphone was like basically it looked like um, a funnel that people would like put up to their mouth and talk into. And it would go into like a very rudimentary like tape recorder. Sometimes it would record on actual metal wire, which was before tape was around, like in the 40s. And instead of like you would dictate a letter you would want and then it would record it onto this machine and then your secretary would play it and then write the letter. Right. And before that, there was shorthand. Right. So this was like a super old time thing. So I don't know when the dictaphone and all that came out, but like probably the 40s or 50s maybe. So before that, you would have a secretary who would literally learn another language of writing. And if you ever just Google the word shorthand, and you'll see on the images like all what it looks like, and it's like little squiggles. It looks like inter- it's yeah, really so beautiful, kind of. But each little sound, like if I were to say the word elephant, you learn in in uh, shorthand school every sound the human mouth can make in speech has its own assigned squiggle or or you know yeah. letter or whatever. So, so the way that it works, and this is actually um, also. The, the basis of court stenography, you know, the mechanical machines that people use um, to, to take live notes during a, a court proceeding. It, it's not every single sound. The focus is on the consonants, right? So when you're writing down the word elephant, for example, you're not spelling E-L-E-P-H-A-N-T. You're spelling the L sound, the F sound, the N sound, and the T right. sound. Right. It's like you're. It's like when you're learning to read. Like you sound out a word. Elephant. Right. right. So because you only have four sounds to transcribe, rather than E L E P H A N T. That's eight letters. He was just right? counting. I had to count <laughs> twice. Um, uh, uh, count count measure twice. Cut once. Right. Um, <laughs> Because you only have half as many things to transcribe, that much in and itself is shorter. And because the lines are all really directional-based and not really about the shape, it's also a lot easier just to scratch it out, right? So you can do the four sounds of elephant in one smooth motion rather than having to like loop back around when you start the L at the baseline and make a big loop and come back around. And when you make your P, you go up and down and then up and then looping yeah. around. It's really, cursive is really inefficient writing, right? 
but this shorthand um, it makes it more efficient. It's very similar with chord stenography. You know, you do chords, uh, you press multiple keys at once to represent the sounds that the person is making rather than spelling out an additional word. So all of the jokes in the show about not being able to read one's shorthand, it's because they're only looking at the consonants and they've got to figure out where the vowels go and kind of make up that word as it goes along. Well, I mean, for me, I, I think it's fascinating the whole the idea of businesses and business people trying to do an office kind of job without any type of computers or typing, let's say. I mean, I, I know there's typewriters and stuff back then too, but just imagine like instead of someone writing in cursive because everyone wrote in cursive back then, let's say 1912, everyone's just scrawling and scrawling and scrawling on, on paper – it would take forever to write almost real time what someone is saying, right? So it's just fascinating to me that someone developed a way to write the English language um, in a way that made that writing so much quicker. So that essentially, like, Mr. Rumbold can ramble on about whatever, and then Miss, Miss Ainsworth can write down real time what he's saying on a piece of paper, which is really cool. Yeah. And, you know, when you, most women, whenever they would want to go into the workforce, because back then they weren't allowed to really work very much, um, or there were, there were definitely hurdles, they would often go to secretary yeah. school. And you would have, right, and you would have and to like, you know, shorthand. This is 60, 70 years ago, you would learn shorthand. Um, on, I'm thinking of Mad Men. I don't think they do yep. shorthand. I think they do typing. But, you know, the typewriter wasn't always around. So, anyway, that's well, what they shorthand would, is. They wouldn't, they wouldn't type live. They, they would take dictation. Um, well, in, the, in Mad Men, it would be in a dictaphone. Like, you always see uh, Don Draper always with the, the, the piece, right, yeah. you know, dic- dictating into this short tape. Um, but they would probably also have to know um, shorthand. Maybe. And then it would yeah. go to the secretarial pool. And one of, the, one of the things that the people in the secretarial pool would do is just type letters that um, someone had, had uh, written in shorthand. They weren't at that meeting. They don't work for that particular person. But someone would just put a piece of transcribed shorthand on their desk and it would be their job. Wouldn't it have been so much out. easier for everyone if the businessmen just learned shorthand too? But then we would require them to you, learn something instead you'd of make a man spend his <laughs> valuable time writing a letter. And instead, like have the women just learn a new language. That's crazy. Anyway, welcome to that does suit Mad Men. <laughs> oh, very nice. I like that. That does suit. Yeah. Mad anyway, Mad so Mr. Mash hears word of what's going on, and because he's shop steward of the union, he decides to convene an emergency meeting to figure out what they're going to do to solve this problem. <laughs> And uh, Mrs. Slocum is a little bit of imp- impressed and scared at the same time. She's like, oh, it's just like the mafia, the Cozy Nostril. Uh, a great little blunder there for La Cosa Nostra, which is Italian for um, our thing, uh, which is the Sicilian mafia as opposed to the Italian mafia. Huh. I was wondering what she yeah. meant Nostril. I'm like, I don't know what that means. but Yeah. There you go. So um, Peacock calls Granger over, but Mash says, nope, they can't be touched when we're in a union meeting. And Peacock somewhat respects this because I guess he's a union member as well and understands, you know, the things that you can and can't yeah, do to the union members. Grace Brothers Union. That, I, I wasn't, that yeah. was unsuspected for me. Unexpected, yeah. rather. And so one of the things that um, Mr. Mash demands is that we want to be free and unrestricted in the cloakroom. <laughs> to which Mr. Humphreys goes, I'll sit with that. Um, because that's what gay men do. They go into cloakrooms and have sex in cloakrooms because that's what we do. No. If we go back to you know Swan and Edgar and Cottage Inn, uh, yes. which we learned about in another episode. Yeah. yeah. Cloakroom is a euphemism for restroom. So it's not just where you hang your coat. It's also where you get your shirt flap lifted. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. Um uh, so Mr. Mash goes, I'll put a motion on the table, to which uh, Mrs. Slocum uh, replies, well, some of the phrasing are a little, is a little strange. Yeah, I didn't get Did that you... joke. So motion is British slang for bowel movement, or is the British equivalent for bowel movement. Ew. Yeah. Movement, bowel movement, a motion. Yeah, a motion, a movement. Oh, okay. See, so, yeah, I didn't get that. Yeah, anyway. Interesting. 
So Mr. Mash goes to take uh, the demands over to uh, Mr. Rumbold, and he says he's refusing to um, to negotiate because the management stands firm behind its agreement of 1928. Because they're so up to date so, and, and modern in the Grace Brothers. The union hasn't had a new contract in 45 years. Hysterical. <laughs> but also par for the course when it comes to stingy, stingy young Mr. Grace. So when Mr. Mash realizes there's no point in negotiating, he, um, he tells Mr. Rumbled off with one of my favorite British curse words, get stuffed. And I did not understand this as a child as a long time. I understood that it was just bad, but I had no idea what it meant. Um, so get stuffed is a minced oath or a softening for get fucked. Or as we would say in the States, go fuck yourself. So I can see why the word get stuffed could be used as a softened version of a go fuck yourself. Yeah. That one's me being Coco Peru there. <laughs> if you don't know who Coco Peru is, go look her up. There you go. Uh, welcome to That Does Serve. Explicit uh, tag Dragons. on this episode. Fuck. Um, <laughs> so Mr. Mash announces that tomorrow's a go slow. Um, and in the morning, they're talking about how, how everyone went slow in the mornings. And Mr. Granger says, well, you know, I think that 10 minutes is rather a long time to spend on inside leg, especially when the customer only came in for a pair of gloves. <laughs> and he Mr. just Humphrey looks, looks, Mr. Humphrey just kind of looks up and like a little bit, oh, well, I, I, I never, you know. So funny. It wasn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so one of the things that I noticed is, um, is we <laughs> have uh, two scenes in the canteen this episode, and Goddard is in both of them. Uh, he's way in the background in the first one, but in the second one, he's a little bit more visible. I think he like gets up and picks up his tray or something. But I thought it was interesting that Goddard would be eating Ooh, with the staff. That is some deep stuff. And he stuff. wouldn't be relegated to, like, the basement or something. Because, like, there's this whole class structure that I wouldn't think that he would be allowed, quote-unquote, um, to eat with the, um, the regular I don't know. Stuff. I've never thought about it. But, I mean, I suppose, yeah. you know, I have a feeling that they didn't have, like, a 50-person crew to make these episodes. So they probably reused actors and... Oh, you know. I'm sure that like so many of um, the staff writers or the assistants ended up being extras because um, there's always extra employees on the floor, uh, but they never come to the department meetings or they never get named. So anyway, uh, they fill up the canteen with these extras. Goddard is one of them. <laughs> uh, and they, they're discussing, you know, are they taking it too far? Are they getting too militant? Uh, and Mr. Granger mentions looking for reds under the beds. Yeah, I had to look that up. And reds under the beds, I knew it was something about the Soviet Union or something. So I, I Googled it, and that was a phrase during the Red Scare, which was like, think of like McCarthyism and like the Senate investigations and like um, Lucille Ball was sort of like blackballed a little bit from Hollywood because she had red hair yep. and they thought, oh, that means she's a communist because they like red. And, and married to a Cuban. Married, married to a Cuban. Cuban. Like people's lives were ruined because of like hysteria and paranorm, par, um, uh, um, just intimidation from people. Like yep. all you had to say is like, you might be a communist, are you? And then everyone was, you know, scared to touch them. Like a lot of TV people in Hollywood got on this list, which... Ruined their careers. Anyway, so during that time when you could say the word communist, people would look around and, who who is a communist? You know, um, so that's what um, that phrase means that Mr. Granger yeah. says, um, looking for reds under the beds. Like there could be communists among us. Who knows? And then Mrs. Slocum says, "Well, I could say there are no reds under my bed." And then Humphrey says, "Nor mine. Mind you, I look every night." <laughs> <laughs> Which is just so cute to see him. Because he's hoping for one. And I just, he's hoping to have like a little, like, little, you know, Igor Dimitri yeah, waiting little, under his bed for him. A little uh, iron curtain coming down, but anyway. Yeah. So, it's cute. Yeah. So, uh, they get back from lunch, and Mr. Mash confronts Rumbled one more time with his demands. <clears throat> and out of the lift comes young Mr. Grace. Uh, like a deus ex machina, yet again, ready to wrap up the episode in the 29th minute. Okay, that's an expensive word. Explain what that means. Deus ex machina is Latin for God out of the machine. 
And it is a liter literary device that's used uh, to solve the conflict rapidly and quickly towards the end of a story, right? Uh, a classic example is you think about, you know, fourth grade creative writing. And then I woke up and realized it was all a dream, right? So you had this kind of nonsensical quick resolution mm, yeah. to the conflict. And he does that in almost that all these that episodes. Do, that doesn't, and it doesn't actually resolve the conflict. It just ends it, right? And he does that in a lot of these episodes. I think in the last three episodes in a row he's done it. But, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, really, we get to see the characters being goofy and making funny jokes. And, and you know, I personally don't mind the fact that, like, Mr. Granger comes, or Mr., Mr. Young Mr. Grace comes out and is like, Hello, everybody. I just had another idea. Let's do this instead. And everyone's like, eh, okay. See you tomorrow. Neither do I. I don't <laughs> mind it at all either because, you know, we don't actually need these conflicts to get resolved because um, with, with, the, with sitcoms, they're a little bit um, discontinuous, right? Yeah. Storylines don't really follow from one episode to another. Like you don't see It's not a serial. A romance. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see a romance blossom, for example, between Lucas and Brahms. And you don't see um, tension build between Granger and Slocum, right? So the fact that these conflicts never get truly resolved, that's perfectly acceptable for a sitcom. And it adds to the humor. To the Yuma, Arizona. To the Yuma. I'm using Yuma, people. Yes. Um, uh, apologies to our listeners from Australia with our bad Australian accents. It's bad enough we do bad British accents <laughs> on the show. Now we got to throw the entire Commonwealth under the bus. Anyway. So what happens? Uh, young Mr. Grace's resolution is that Goddard is going to come and serve them their coffee on the floor. So they don't even have to leave the floor to go to the canteen. They've effectively lost their entire tea break. Aww. Um, and I love it. And so I love the fact that they make a big deal that now they're going to have to have their tea from paper cups. From paper cups. Which is like, oh, maybe paper cups back in 1975 weren't the greatest, but it, it makes me think about comparing and contrasting those days to today. Like the idea of expecting to have a real teacup that someone hands to you with a saucer, that's I, unbelievable. I, but you know what? I, I, I don't think it is because I think anywhere outside of the States... Oh, in Britain, I was going to say, yeah. Anywhere outside of the States, you know, first of all, you don't drink a beverage right from the container. Like if you buy a bottle of um, soda from the store, when you get it to home or back to your office or wherever you're going to drink it, you pour it into a glass, right? You don't drink it from the container. And, um, you know, apart from um, ecology... I think that people expect to be able to, you know, drink from a real glass or eat from a real plate. Um, nowadays, in kind of shared areas, I don't know, you know, there's a bit, probably a bigger push back to um, environmentally disposable friendly. Disposable everything? Oh, because compostable, of COVID? Dis disposable because of COVID. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, think that, I think that the disgust of having to drink from a paper cup would... Um, still resonate today, although for slightly different reasons. Well, yeah, I mean, a couple of thoughts, uh, thoughts on that. Um, you know, if you think about in the 50s, um, one of my favorite movies is the film about the guy who started McDonald's. And I can't remember the name of it right now. Again, I'm not so good with movie names. It's called The Chairman or The, the found, Founder. The Founder. That's what it is. Okay. It's about the Ray Kroc who started McDonald's. And you get to see, like, yep. how it was, like, the two McDonald brothers. And they had, like, a cute little restaurant. And it was really small town, mom and pop stuff. And then this business guy comes in. And he's like, hey, guys, listen to this. I've got a great deal. You'll never make so much money. And, and it shows how, like, basically he kind of, like, stepped on everyone's back to get up to, like, this high plateau. But what's cool about it is that they had to convince people in the 1950s in McDonald's to eat uh, not with um, a cloth napkin and a little a vase with a flower on it and a tablecloth and like a plate. You have your hamburger wrapped. Off a plastic tray. Yeah, or like a, a paper wrapper and you throw it away. And people didn't know what to do because that was a new thing. So, you know, I will say when you go to Britain, if you go to, um, is it Sainsbury's? Where they always have a, ca a little tea room, a little cafe in the grocery store. And it 
Well, Waitrose. Waitrose had yeah. that. They actually started doing away with a lot of that. Um, and this is before COVID. Yeah. They started doing away with that last summer. Well, I can't remember if it was Tesco. Was it Tesco's or Sainsbury's? I don't know which one would have. It's, it, but, but the thing is, it's like a big portion of the, of the real estate of that supermarket was for a cafe. And you walk in and it's, it's not Starbucks at all, but it's, you, it, it had this feeling of the customers of this supermarket expected there to be a lovely place where you can go and have a nice little slice of cake and some tea. Oh, well, th- that's Marks and Spencer's that has that kind of Yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, over it, there, yeah. it's like, I mean, I know that the, the having tea is a very cultural thing there. But right. you go, especially in London, you go any, there's lots of little restaurants and places, but you get a proper cup, you get everything, there's no paper. And then, of course, I think of Starbucks where everything's, you know, everything's paper and disposable. But it, it is kind of nice, I have to say, to like have a lovely cup of tea and it's real. You can tell they have to wash it all. But, you know, I, if that was the standard, suddenly getting paper. Give someone a job, dishwasher it creates a job. Oh, well, yeah. Right? Anyway, so that's our episode, folks. Hooray. Yeah. So um, next week we'll be talking about Up Captain Peacock. And that's the one where he gets a key to the executive washroom and executive dining room. Executive washroom. (laughs) Where we see Mr. Granger, like, completely lose it. Have a stroke because (laughs) Captain Peacock is getting the key there before he does. So, uh, yeah, so thanks for everyone's comments. Um, You know, if you have show ideas, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear you. We've been doing episode by episode going through all 70-whatever. But, you know, if there's a, a topic or maybe a deep dive on a thing we've talked about, let us know. We can do whatever we want. So yeah. give us some ideas. And so you you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter or write us at that does suit madam with an E at gmail.com. Or you can call our hotline in northern Mississippi at 662-PEACOCK. That's 662-732-2625. All right. Another episode. We'll see you folks next week. Talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. That Does Suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, although it should be. And it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Optics and mirror may be closer than they appear.